which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Good morning. Last time I sat on the stage, which is new, and today I was encouraged to sit at the table. So uh, every time I come, I get a new experience in preaching, which is a blessing. Um, but want to say thank you so much for uh, just being here today. Um, Pastor Daryl is not here. Uh, he tried to get like 10 speakers. He couldn't find anybody else, so he called me at the last minute. Now, it, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to come and share and uh, to be able to fellowship with you all. I was blessed to see uh, Ty and Katie Goodbar come in. They're uh, former athletes from University of Georgia, and um, Ty is in the Marines, and they got married a couple years ago, and I'm kind of mad at him because he's taken away my very best babysitter. So uh, my kids are going to uh, tremendously miss Katie, and we're just so excited about what God is doing. It just blessed my heart uh, to see them come in uh, this morning. But wanted to just share uh, quickly uh, this morning a passage that has kind of been on my heart. Um, since I have been here the last time, let me give a little update. My wife is not here today. Um, praise God. She is pregnant again with our third child. So in December, we will have a two-and-a-half-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and a a newborn. So pray I strengthen the Lord. (laughs) It's going to be a lot going on in our house. Um, But she's not here today. She got up this morning, and she was, you know, not feeling too good. So I told her, you get a pass because you're pregnant. So (laughs) you really can't argue with that. But uh, we're doing great. Ministry is going wonderful at UGA uh, with our guys. Um, I'm I'm so encouraged, um, and I'll, I'll pick on Katie and uh, and Ty. Uh, they came up through the ministry, and what we want to see, we want to see a movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ's birth. Um, it's one thing for me to go and preach and share, but it's another thing for the athletes to catch the vision to reach their teammates. And um, I think when, when Katie and Ty were kind of transitioning, we were just seeing that movement kind of birthed. And uh, this semester, um, this spring semester, I didn't even teach the Bible study with the football team. I had three guys who were really excited about it. They met with me and they asked me to take it. Um, and they wanted to teach the Bible study to their team. So it was just so encouraging to see guys have a heart for their teammates. Um, so I just want to ask that you guys continue to pray for the campus. It's a, uh, it's a tremendous uh, ministry field, but at the same time, um, ministry is messy. And uh, it's tough um, ministering in a place or ministering to a group of people where everybody tells them that you're great and that you're wonderful and you're perfect. And here I am saying, no, you need the Lord. So continue to pray for us um, on campus. And then... Excuse me. Um, and then with our church plant, uh, we are getting ready to plant a church in Athens. Uh, the name is going to be Calvary Bible Church. Um, I'm excited to be the, uh, the lead pastor or whatever you want to call it. Um, but we have secured a location, prayerfully, um, the shops of Athens right on Millage. Um, there's an old bilo that's been sitting for about two years. And uh, it's a huge space. Um, the guy who owns it is a believer. And he's kind of given us a chance uh, to get things rolling, giving us some free rent and allowing us um, to use it for the glory of God. So we got to raise some funds for chairs. And, you know, I just want to preach, you know, but Pastor Dell is meeting with me and 
have you thought about lights? Have you thought about um, a, a audio visual? I'm like, dude, I just want to preach the gospel. So I'm uh, I'm trying to to, to learn the 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 detail, uh, I guess the business part of ministry, but we're really excited about it and uh, would love for you guys to continue to pray for us. Um, I'm a firm believer that we need more churches. Um, as I, as I've studied, um, and guys who I really respect will tell you that a new church plant reaches six to eight times more people than an established church. Um, so if we want to reach the unchurched, we need more churches. Uh, so my desire is to reach people who are far away from God. And uh, I'm excited that, that God is opening up this door, and uh, I'm just kind of ready to walk through it. But before I walk through it, I want to be prepared. So pray for both sides that God would, um, would bless us tremendously, but also that he wouldn't let us get into something that we're not ready for. Amen. Well, this morning, I would love uh, to share with you guys from a passage of scripture that's uh, probably extremely familiar to most of you all. It's Romans chapter number one. I want to read um, just a few verses to you. I'm going to read starting in verse number eight, and I'm going to go to verse number 17. I'll give you some time to find that. Ricky got me choked up. I was crying a little bit up there. I got to I need to shake it off. It's time to preach. If you have it, say amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Well, I have here a few more pages turning. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Okay. Here we go. Verse number 8 declares, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so, foolish. so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, just for a few moments today, I want to talk to you guys about being more than unashamed. Being more than unashamed. We pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we honor you for these moments. God, I thank you for another day, God, to be in your house. God, to worship you, God, to fellowship with the saints, Lord. God, I pray, God, that you would allow me to preach this morning as a man unsure of another opportunity to preach, God, bless me now. God, that I may clearly communicate your word. 
God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Christ's name that I do pray and give thanks. Amen. Well, about 80 years ago, a man named Chuck was born. You see, Chuck was born in Boston. Uh, Chuck was uh, trained or educated at Boston University. Chuck was um, actually a member of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, after he finished his tour of duty, uh, Chuck left the Marine Corps and he went to law school. And Chuck uh, opened his own law practice. Chuck was extremely successful in the law field. And Chuck, um, after a few years in, the, um, in a private practice, made a decision hey, I want to go into politics. Um, Chuck would uh, have more, even more success in the political realm, and at age 39, Chuck became the special counsel to the president, or our 37th president, Richard Nixon. You see, after a few years of being in office, um, Chuck became the most valued or the most uh, prominent advisor for the president. He would become what many would call his axe man. His, his, uh, his, his, the man who would do the dirty work. You see, if you don't know who I'm talking about, because you may be young, um, this man's name is Charles Chuck Colson. And Charles Chuck Colson, uh, back in 1972, was known as the orchestrator of what we know as Watergate. Watergate was this uh, conspiracy. Uh, the Republican Party was so concerned about winning the election that they wanted to go into the Democratic offices. They taped stuff. They robbed the place. They were trying to get intel because they were going to use it as a smear campaign to try to win the election. And this guy, Chuck, was the one who orchestrated it all. Chuck is the first one who went to prison. Chuck is known at that time as, as like I said, as uh, Richard Nixon's henchman. If you were to press pause in 1972, Chuck had a terrible testimony. Chuck was known as a liar, a schemer, a conniver. Chuck was a dirty politician. That's in 1972. But at his lowest point, this is what I love about his story. One of his friends, uh, who, was a, who was the CEO of Raytheon at that time, was the biggest corporation in, in America, had told him that recently he received Christ. And what that guy did was he gave um, Chuck a copy of C.S. Lewis's book and he shared the gospel with him. And this is what I love. Chuck, not in a church, not with the preacher, not at a tent revival. Chuck, in his car, reading the word, was born again. The gospel met him exactly where he was. And at that moment in 1972, God totally changed his life. Now, Chuck did go to prison which lets us know that just because God forgives doesn't mean that he takes you away from the consequences of sin. He goes to prison. But what's interesting about his story is that here is a lawyer whose whole life is about counseling people outside of prison. When he gets to prison, he starts something called prison fellowship, and he counsels men in prison with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 40 years later, when he died one month ago, at his eulogy, you didn't hear about Watergate. You heard about the gospel. You heard about how Christ can change a man, which lets us know that Christ did not simply come to save us, but Christ came to literally transform our lives. That is the beauty of the gospel. 
You see, if you think about Chuck's story, it really is Paul's story. You see, Paul, we know Paul. He is a persecutor of Christians. He is the one who is President Stephen Stone. And he is the one who is responsible for literally stopping the movement of Christianity. And on the Damascus Road, we see in Acts, Paul, which at that time was Saul, is confronted with Jesus Christ. He's confronted with the gospel on the Damascus Road, not in a temple, not with a preacher, just him and Jesus. And God literally transforms his life on a road. What a beautiful picture of what God expects from us. And Paul, well, Saul then becomes Paul. And the guy who literally wanted to stop the movement of Christianity gives the rest of his life for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rest of his life is about spreading the good news of Jesus. And it was Paul's goal to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you read Romans, I mean, it's such a beautiful um, a masterpiece. I mean, you, 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 if you were to talk to theologians, they'll tell you that the most uh, theologically heavy book in the Bible is probably Romans. I mean, if you walk through it, you have such beautiful pictures of the Lord, such beautiful pictures of grace and such a great understanding of the law. I mean, Romans 3 speaks about how there's none righteous, no, not one. And, and Romans 5 speaks about how in the fullness of time that God came to save us, that he he demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he dies for us. Chapter number six, he speaks about how the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, which means that what we earn for missing the mark is separation. But what we receive when we have Christ is a, is a relationship. In chapter number eight, he speaks about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Chapter 828, he says that, you know, God works all things together for the good. Chapter number nine, or chapter in the chapter number eight into the chapter number nine he speaks about how nothing can separate us from his love chapter number 10 he speaks about how if we confess with our mouth if we believe in our heart we shall be saved i mean it is such a beautiful book but we can read it almost thinking that does paul is paul just writing this book to let us know how much he knows is paul because we all do this all men want to have a legacy all men want to build something great does paul do this just so that thousands of years later we can look back and say hey Paul got the gospel. No, he doesn't do that. If you read number chapter 1 and you read chapter number 15, you'll find that Paul has never been to Rome. Okay? In chapter number 15, he tells you, yes, I've never been to Rome, but guess what? I'm going to pass through Rome headed to Spain. Okay? Now, this is, the, this is the most important part of the sermon. If you don't get nothing, get this. Okay? Paul was, was born again in on the Damascus Road, okay? He moves up to Antioch. He moves over to Philippi and Galatia, Iconium. He's traveling west, okay? Rome is here. Spain is here, okay? He started here. He's traveling west. He's traveling with the gospel. He's preaching everywhere he can go. In Paul's mind, the end of the earth was Spain. He wanted to take it to the ends of the earth, okay? So he's traveling from, from east to west, Okay, and he's trying to get to Spain. And Paul understood if I reach Spain, if I'm going to have success in Spain, I got to have a relationship in Rome. If you look at a map, go home today, look at a map. You will find that Paul was in Corinth when he wrote the letter. Rome is in the middle between Corinth and Spain. And to get to Spain, Paul understood that I've got to have relationships in Rome. So Paul's heart 
was not to let them know how important he was or let them know how much he knew about the gospel. God had so transformed his life that all he was concerned about was reaching the ends of the earth with the word of God. So he says, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was his desire for lost people that birthed the letter of Rome. When we read it, I don't want you to ever read Romans not realizing that Paul's heart was Spain when he wrote Rome. I'm sorry, Paul's heart was for Spain when he wrote Romans. But he understood that he could not have success in Spain if he didn't have relationships in Rome. So what Paul does is he introduces himself as the Apostle Paul. If you go back to, if you go back and begin in chapter number one, you see Paul tell us a few things um, about the gospel. Verse number eight, we read it, I'll read it again. It says, for I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because, of your, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The first thing that he tells them, tell, tells them is, I'm thankful for your response to the gospel. I'm thankful for your response to the gospel. Why is that important, Thomas? Because Paul understood that we're a family. Now, I'm not just saying this because I'm here, but I really do think that Pastor Daryl gets this concept of family. That, you know, especially in parachurch ministries, we preach such a personal relationship with Jesus. Thank you, sister. We preach such a personal relationship with Jesus that a lot of times we miss the fact that we're a family. We miss the fact that we need each other to grow. That we are a body. Yesterday, my son celebrated his first birthday. And yesterday, I probably heard some of the most challenging news about a family member that I ever heard. It was a, it was a mountaintop experience and a valley low experience right at the same time. And at once, at, at one point, I'm, at one moment, I'm excited about my son because he's my son. He had surgery, and you know he doesn't have to wear his helmet anymore. He's doing great. But on the other side, man, my heart is grieving because one of my loved ones is in jail right now. My heart was was grieving because they're my they're my family. Well, if 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 they're my physical family, how much more should I also be concerned about my spiritual family? Um, it's it's kind of not I don't want to use too many football analogies, but it's kind of like if if you got eleven guys on the field and and you got the D line that are rushing the quarterback, they can't say the D line can't say to the to the to the cornerbacks, hey, we ain't rushing the quarterback. You just need to cover. And 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 the cornerbacks can't say to the D line, hey, man, we ain't covering nobody. You better get the quarterback. No, eleven guys got to work together. For a common goal. And in the church, man, we need each other, man. We're a family. And Paul was thankful because he understood that somebody that, that my brother's relationship with Christ is just import, as important as mine. If you don't get it, you'll maybe understand it with this illustration. I love um, the sequoia trees. Has anybody seen a, a live sequoia? You been in California? Okay. Sequoias are known as the largest or the tallest trees in the world, they usually get between 300 and 400 feet tall. Pretty amazing, okay? But what's even more amazing about the sequoias are the fact that their roots are only about six feet deep. 
Okay? They're 300 feet tall, but six feet deep. How is, how is something so tall dependent upon, upon, upon something that is so shallow? Okay? Think about it. How can something so tall, 300 feet high, depend upon something so shallow? See, the great thing about sequoias are they grow in groves. And literally, they grow so close together that if you were to dig underground, you could not tell which roots are which, which tree. They are so dependent. They are so interlocked. They are so interwoven with one another that the trees are able to reach 300 feet because they depend on the other trees. What kind of church would we be if we depended on each other like that? Not that I'm concerned about my kids. My kids are saved and, you know, my job is secure. Should I not be concerned about my brother? Should I not be concerned about my sister? What kind of church would Cornerstone be if you guys began to grow in groves and you guys were totally dependent on the member next to you and you weren't just okay with things being all right at your house, but what's going on next door is just as important as what's going on in your house. Paul understood that we are a family of God. That's the first thing. The second thing in verse number 14, Paul says, I am obligated to tell others about the gospel. Let me get some water. I am obligated to tell others about the gospel. Let me read verse 14. Simply says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Okay? Two things here. If you go back to verse number one, Paul will tell you that I'm a bondservant of Christ, which means that he had such a, such a fervent relationship with Christ that he was willing to make himself a servant of Christ. Okay? And then second thing we see in there is this. When Paul looked out at people, he saw the need. I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. This will make more sense to you. Matthew chapter 9. Nine... Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35 says, And when Jesus, a few more pages, Matthew 9, 35 says, And when Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of, of the kingdom and healing every sickness and affliction, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then his disciples said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Check the picture. Jesus sees this tremendous crowd, okay? He doesn't say, I see women and men. He doesn't say, I see young people and old people. He doesn't say, I see rich and poor. What Jesus says is, I see people who are scattered. I see people who are who are torn. I see people who are afflicted. And Jesus says, I see people who need a shepherd. Paul is under obligation because when he looks out, he sees the needs of others. I mean, I got to, I got to confess. I mean, how many times have I been so unconcerned with others? How many times have I walked past someone who I know needed a physical or spiritual need that I could have easily have met. 
but I'm not under obligation. You see, Paul saw his relationship with God as so important that he was under obligation. He saw carrying the message of Christ as a responsibility in his own personal life. And I want to encourage us today, not that we should, if you, if you don't hear me saying anything, don't hear me saying that I'm telling you you need to go to Spain. But I am telling you is you need to be under obligation to carry the gospel to others. I mean, how selfish are we if we really believe what we believe to keep it to ourselves? I believe that it's our responsibility to tell as many people about the love of Christ, not to tell people that we're against homosexuality or we're against abortion, which we are. We know that. But how many times do we miss an opportunity to tell people what we're for? We're for family. We're for life. We're for reconciliation. We're for diversity. We're for God doing a work in people's lives. We're for transformation. And I believe that if we were more diligent in carrying that message, we would see more fruit. Not necessarily have a bigger church or have a bigger budget, but lives would literally be changed if we saw ourselves as being under obligation. Amen? The third thing that Paul um, speaks about in uh, chapter number one, verse number 15, he says that... So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I think that uh, a lot of us, and I've had to deal with this in my own personal life, that, you know, sometimes we want to come to church and we want to hear a deep message. You know, we want to hear, you know, we want to hear about election. We want to hear about, you know, the sovereignty of God. And really, I believe that we probably need to hear more of the gospel. We probably need to hear more about, how we were, we were lost and how he found us. You see, if you look at it in context, Paul is writing to Roman Christians, okay? He's writing to people who have already have a relationship with Christ. But here's what he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also, okay? He's still eager to preach the gospel because even a believer still needs the gospel, okay? We never ever, ever outgrow the gospel. We never outgrow understanding how much we need Christ in our lives daily. Um, a lot of times um, we, we use this word gospel and we, we kind of throw it around, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we want to just simply define the gospel, okay? Let's, let's do that. I think this is important. First uh, Corinthians 15, This is Paul writing again to another church. He says, now I will remind you, start, sorry, verse number 1, 15-1, 1, 1 Corinthians 15-1 says, now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you, have, if you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you bleed in vain. Verse number 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Think about Corinthians. Think about all the, all the great things that are in Corinthians. The beautiful love passage, the issues on homosexuality, the issues on sexual immorality, the issues on division in the church. Out of all the things that are in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, 
I deliver to you as first importance, meaning that I deliver to you what the, the most important thing that I can tell you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not about simply loving one another, not, a, not simply about unity. Paul says the most important message that I could ever preach is the gospel. And let's just define it right here. First, he says that Christ died for our sins. Tell, tell my guys all the time that when you think about the gospel, um, you kind of need to take out um, for, my, for our sins or for my sins and put your name in there. That Christ died for Thomas Settle's sins. Okay? That he died for my sins in my place. There was a, a story told of this, um, this Jewish student um, who went to his professor and uh, the student kind of was looking for a battle, looking for an argument. So he goes to his professor, who he knew was a Christian, and he says, "Professor, how could you how could you believe that Bible? You, you're supposed to be a learned man." And the professor responds and tells him that because uh, Christ died for my sins, and the student says, "Ah, oh, that's a that's a bunch of crap." You, do you know how the student says, "Man, many people died on a cross. That's not important." And the professor asks him, he says. Son, do you know how many people died on the cross during the times of Christ? And he said, yeah, probably about 30,000. The professor's kind of impressed and says, hey, you're the first person who could ever respond that way. Let me ask you another question. He says, can you name anyone in that 30,000? Can you give me one name? And the guy says, I can give you one. He said, what's his name? Jesus Christ. He says, why can't you name others? And the guy says, I don't know. He leaves that meeting with his professor. He literally begins to read through the Gospel of John. And he realizes that the reason why we don't know any other's names is because Jesus died for our sins in our place. And we never, ever can get over that. The second thing we see about the Gospel is that he was buried. Um, back in the days, um, there was this um, theology that Christ um, really didn't die, that he was under shock and that his body um, was was uh, in this cataconic state and that he really didn't die, that he was, you know, when they put him in the uh, tomb, his blood pressure was low and, uh, you know, he ended up coming back three days later. And to, to anybody who believes that, I'd say, let me beat you with a cat of nine tails. Let me get you to carry your cross. Let me allow you to hang on a cross for hours. Allow me to drive a spear through your side. Allow me to put you in a tomb that has no air for three days. And then I will see if Christ Jesus really died. He literally, he died. He was buried. And I think we got to remember that. And thirdly, he was raised, which is the, the crowning accomplishment of the gospel that when Jesus Christ is raised, it tells us that God has power over life and death. And it points to the day that when we have gone on to go to sleep, as the Bible says, that one day he will raise us up when he returns for the church. That is the gospel, and we never, ever should get over that. That never gets boring. It never gets old because we got to understand that that is the most powerful message that we will ever hear, that Christ died for my sins in my place. And that's a great, that's called good news. Amen. And lastly, this is where we get to Paul saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel, okay? 
A lot of times we jump to number, we jump to verse 16 because it is, it is such a powerful statement. I am, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we kind of preach that passage. Uh, we got the guys, the 116, they are not ashamed of the gospel. These young um, Christian rappers, that's that kind of their, their clarion call. We're not ashamed of the gospel. And they want to preach it in every part of the world. But we, sometimes we miss the fact that Paul is writing to a Roman empire that is probably the most powerful group in the world, okay? And for a, a Roman citizen, dying on a cross would have been embarrassing. Um, like I said, about 30,000 people died on the cross, and that was for the poor. That was for the beggars. So when Paul is writing to this church or to these people, he understands that they probably have a low view of the cross because culturally powerful people don't die like that. But Paul just lets them know that, well, I am not ashamed of the gospel because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals that God exchanges our place. We've got a guy on campus. He does this, he does this event. It's called the Great Exchange. And um, his, his name is John Deans. He's a great guy. And he, he, he does a great exchange because he wants to let people know that the cross exchanges our place on the cross for God's seat in heaven. And when, we, when he went to the cross, we got a place in heaven, and that's the great exchange. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the great exchange. He understands what comes from it, okay? Now, he says, I'm thankful for how you responded to the gospel. I'm obligated to tell others about the gospel. I'm eager to continue preaching the gospel, and I am unashamed of the gospel. That's his introduction to the book of Romans. Now, I got to ask you this. You can go to the questions now. We got to be honest with ourselves today. And we got to ask ourselves, um, have we responded to the gospel? Um, part of, I've, I've often had dreams and thoughts of what it would be like to minister in another part of the country. Um, simply because everybody in the South is saved. Um, I do a survey with the football team. 99.999% of guys check, I'm a Christian, I'm from a Christian home, you know, if I die right now, I go to heaven. So it's, it's kind of confusing culturally because a relationship with God is seen more in, in this setting that if I, if I go to the building on Sunday morning, I have a relationship with Christ. Um, but I want to ask you this morning, what has God confronted you about on your Damascus road, meaning that? Has Christ confronted you about the sin in your life, and have you surrendered your life to Christ? I believe that part of the gospel requires a, requires a response, okay? Second thing, the question is, where is the gospel taking you? I believe that since God is God, he's holy, he's righteous, he's omnipotent, once I come in contact with the holy God, my life cannot be the same. You, if, if I went outside right now and I got hit by a Mack truck, my, my life would look different. If you, you cannot tell me if you have come in contact with the God of this universe that your life is the same. I am not preaching perfection. Do not hear me say that. But what I am saying is that Christ desires to transform your life. And I got to ask you a question. Where is the gospel taking you?
for Paul, he was trying to stop the gospel from being preached. And after he met Christ, it was his ambition to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So my question is, where is the gospel taking you? And thirdly, my question is, what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? For Paul, he gave his life to it. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was ostracized. He was willing to sacrifice everything so that you and I could really be here today. So my question is, what are you willing to sacrifice to share the gospel? I close with this story. Um, there's a pastor who I really respect. Um, he lives in Florida. I don't want to give his name. Um, but he was kind of in a, in a tough place in his life. Um, he was in a place where, you know, the, the, the monster of ministry was going good, you know. Just like at your job, you know, you hit that sweet spot. You know, things are good at the job. You know, you don't have to work too hard. You know how to, you know, cut some corners and get around things. And he was just saying in ministry, he was getting to that place where, you know, the praise team was going to be on point. My deacons were going to have things in place. I had my three points and a poem ready for my Sunday morning service. Hey, things were rolling good. And he said God began to really confront him with what are you doing? What are you sacrificing? To share my to share the word. Well, God is funny like that. He answers the the guy begins to pray, and God answers a prayer. He moves in a Muslim couple right next to him, and uh, the Muslim couple is uh, very hostile, very um, very um, against conversation, and very um, not very warm or, or open to anything. Well, he's outside. He's he's mowing his lawn, and um, and he's mowing his lawn. He's praying. And he realized that this couple, this particular couple, really didn't have a high value of lawn care. So he felt like the Lord saying, go mow the lawn. So for three years, every Saturday, he mowed that lawn. Never, they never said thank you, never acknowledged it, never did anything. Mowed that lawn, mowed that lawn. And as he mowed, he's praying for him the whole time. Praying that God would give him an open door. Praying that God would give him an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, about maybe three years into it, um, they start having children, and his wife would bake cookies, and they would go next door, and they would just drop off the cookies, and they would just, you know, say thank you to them. And they were just trying to serve, trying to be open, trying to do whatever they could do to share the love of Christ. Well, the Muslim, um, one of the, the, the wife in the, in the particular couple ends up getting cancer. And she ends up uh, getting maybe six months to live. And even though had, they had never really had any conversation, they had never had any interaction, when he got cancer, they came next door to talk to the pastor. They sold and served for three, four, five years, never getting a thank you, never getting a appreciate you. But they were doing that so that God would put them in a position so that they could share the love of Christ. And it, isn't it amazing that um, the wife actually never received Christ. She never prayed to receive Christ. But during her funeral, or right before her funeral, she had an extended stay in that house. And do you know that that Muslim couple allowed their kids to stay with the preacher? They allowed those kids to, to be involved for maybe two or three weeks in a Christian home. And he doesn't know what God is going to do with it, but he said at least for two weeks, I got the disciple 
to Muslim kids. You see, his, 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 he had been confronted with the gospel. He had responded to the gospel. The gospel was taking him across the yard just to mow some lawn. And he was willing to sacrifice his time for the gospel. And I just want to encourage you today that when you leave this place, I want you to seriously pray, where is God taking me? You know, part of my heart as a pastor or a future pastor is that I not be the show on Sunday. But I would love for men and women to be equipped to go out and serve, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to reach their neighbors, to reach their coworkers. Because I believe in my heart, some people may never come in this building, but guess what? You have a tremendous opportunity to minister to them. So that's my message for you today. Hope it's been a blessing to you. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we do love you. We do thank you. God, we do honor you for this opportunity, Lord. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for saving us from our sins. I thank you, God, for giving us new life. And I thank you for, I thank you for giving us purpose, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just allow us, God, to, to be thankful for others, Lord God, to see ourselves as being obligated to share to others, Lord God, to be eager to preach the gospel even to ourselves, Lord. And I pray. God, it will never, ever be ashamed, Lord. I pray, God, for the pastor who's away. I pray, God, that you would bless him and him and his family, Lord. I thank you for everyone who's under the sound of my voice today. And I even pray for those who are not able to make it here today. We love you once again, Lord, and we thank you. And we just commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.